Welcome back to the Questions and Answers about the Bible and Theology podcast. In today's episode, I'm going to answer the questions, what are the qualifications needed to become a deacon, and how does an individual become a deacon at Crystal Lake Baptist Church? What are the qualifications needed to become a deacon? The New Testament provides a list of moral qualifications required to become a deacon. In 1 Timothy 3, 8-13, Paul provides an official qualification list to become a deacon. Many of these qualifications are similar to those for elders listed in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, with the obvious difference relating to the ability to teach. What is most striking about the qualification list are that every Christian ought to be pursuing maturity in each of these areas. This feature of the qualification list is not necessarily surprising because the office of deacon is really a role of service to the assembly and all Christians should be seeking to serve. Before explaining each of the qualifications, it's important to note that the qualification list is not exhaustive. There are other basic Christian commitments and competencies that are worthy of consideration as well. Just because an individual meets the moral qualifications for the office of deacon does not mean that the individual should necessarily serve in that office. For example, an individual who could arguably meet each of the moral qualifications but fails to regularly participate in the life of the church or would be unable to give sufficient time and energy to the work of the diaconal office should not be considered for the office. Let's consider the list of qualifications provided in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. I'll read this text from the Christian Standard Bible. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanders, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be the husbands of one wife, managing their children in their households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's look at each of these qualifications in turn. Worthy of respect. To be worthy of respect is to be honorable or dignified. An individual who desires to be considered for this office must relate to the assembly and to unbelievers in a respectful manner. This individual must order his life in a way that merits the respect of those who know him. This is particularly important because while the office of deacon is not a leadership office as such, the particular service tasks that a deacon is called to demands that the assembly have confidence in the individual to be honorable in all of their doings. Not hypocritical. A deacon is not to be hypocritical, or more specifically, double-tongued. A deacon is not to say one thing and to mean another, or to speak in contradictory ways depending on who the individual is speaking to. To do so would destroy credibility and would fail to garner the respect of the assembly. 
not drinking a lot of wine. A deacon is not prohibited from drinking wine, but is prohibited from excessive indulgence in wine, and we can expand here to include other alcoholic beverages. To be given to excessive drinking of wine is to violate other biblical teaching related to alcohol consumption, particularly the prohibition against drunkenness. As such, a deacon should not be an individual who is given over to drinking a lot of alcohol. If an individual's life is marked more by love for alcohol than by love for Christ, transformation by the gospel, and service to the assembly, this individual is not qualified to serve as a deacon. Not greedy for money. Deacons, in their role of service, have access to financial and other resources intended to be utilized in service to the assembly at large. And those who are more vulnerable, such as widows, the elderly, and the poor. The responsibility to oversee these resources is endangered by those who are greedy for money. We need to be able to trust those who have oversight of the deacon's fund or the hospitality fund. As such, they must not be greedy for money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. When Paul talks about the mystery of the faith, it seems like he's talking about the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the only answer for sin, and that those who come to him find rest under his rulership. A deacon should be able to articulate the gospel clearly in speech, and to demonstrate in action a life that's being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A deacon should be reasonably able to demonstrate with a clear conscience both a confession of Christ in speech and a demonstration of gospel living in everyday life. Tested first and proven blameless. A potential deacon is to be tested before appointment to the office. I'll address this more when I talk about how an individual becomes a deacon at Crystal Lake, but for now it's important to note that candidates must be tested with respect to their theology, their personal reputation, their background, and evidence of ongoing service within the assembly as considerations for part of their testing for the appointment of this office. Wives are to be worthy of respect, not slanders, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Now here again, we run into the question of whether only men are permitted to serve in the office of deacon or whether women are permitted to serve in this office as well. Some translations will make the interpretive decision of translating the Greek word that can mean either woman or wife in this verse as wives, as the Christian Standard Bible here does, while other translations will make the decision to render the word as woman or women, indicating that women are permitted to serve in this office as well. I'll discuss the issues related to this interpretive decision and whether or not we believe that women are permitted to serve as deacons in the next episode. But whether you interpret the verse as listing qualifications that the wife of a potential deacon must meet, or whether you see these as qualifications specific to female deacons, the explanation for the qualifications is the same and ultimately mirrors the qualifications already listed for deacons that we've discussed so far. 
worthy of respect is parallel to the qualification, the same qualification listed in verse 9. Not slandering is virtually parallel to not hypocritical. Self-controlled is virtually parallel to not drinking a lot of wine and not greedy for money. And faithful in everything is virtually parallel to holding the mystery of the faith with a good conscience and being tested prior to serving as a deacon. If female deacons are in view, these qualifications would need to be visible in the life of that woman prior to appointment to the office. If the wife of a deacon is in view, these qualifications would need to be evidenced in the prospective deacon's wife prior to her husband's appointment to the office. I'll talk more about the various views on female deacons and the role of a deacon's spouse in the next episode. Because there are good arguments on both sides of the discussion, I think it's deserving of treatment on its own. So let's continue considering the qualifications for a deacon. Next is husband of one wife. Very literally, the phrase husband of one wife means a one-woman man. As such, this does not mean that a prospective deacon has to be married, nor does it mean that a prospective deacon must never have been divorced or remarried. In most cases, a prospective deacon who has been divorced will be either qualified or disqualified based on whether or not he's worthy of respect and whether or not he manages his household well. Not every divorced individual is disqualified simply because they have been divorced. What is at stake here is whether or not the individual is committed to living in marital fidelity and faithfulness to his spouse. Furthermore, an unmarried individual can evidence a one-woman man lifestyle by living in sexual purity. Whether married or unmarried, a one-woman man will not be given over to pornography, sexual activity outside of marriage, lust, or a dirty mind. Instead, he'll be given over to, by God's grace, living a life of sexual purity. Managing children and household competently. Deacons must manage their households, including their children, competently. So let me begin by commenting on what this does not mean. First, this does not mean that a prospective deacon has to be married and have children. Unmarried men and married men without children can manage the affairs of their household either competently or incompetently. The requirement is not about having a certain size household, but about managing one's household regardless of the size competently. Second, this does not mean that a prospective deacon's children will behave perfectly or that all of his children will come to faith in Christ Jesus or that all of his children will live admirable lifestyles throughout their life. We recognize that responsibility to follow Christ falls on the individual. However, If a prospective deacon is known for being careless in his family life, being careless in managing his household, or any other number of matters, from finances to parental discipline, in a way that is just careless, this individual is not qualified to serve as a deacon. 
If the individual is careless in his everyday life, he will be careless in the life of the church. Third, this does not mean that a deacon should be overbearing in his family life. Competence in household management is not evidenced through dictatorial rule. Positively, potential deacons evidence competency in managing their households by seeking to grow in their knowledge and abilities in matters of family life. They'll seek to discipline their children, if they have any, to order their affairs rightly, and to carry out their responsibilities with diligence. They will allow others to speak into their lives. They will seek counsel, and they will actively work to correct areas where they're failing to fulfill their responsibilities. In summary, no individual will meet these qualifications with perfection. However, a prospective deacon must show maturity in these areas and must evidence these qualifications sufficiently to be considered for the office of deacon. On the other hand, every Christian should be seeking to grow in maturity in these areas. The qualifications for a deacon are also the responsibilities of every Christian. In the end, then, the qualification list steers us to appoint those who are mature in the faith to the office of deacon. Our second question is, what is the process to become a deacon? To become a deacon at Crystal Lake, an individual has to be tested as instructed in 1 Timothy 3.10. Currently, we have no appointed de deacons. Also, currently, there is not a formal deacon in training and testing process. However, we do hope to develop a more concrete process in the future. So speaking generally, still, we can say a few things about the, what the testing process entails as it stands. First, at one level, Judging whether or not an individual has met the qualifications to be a deacon can only be judged in a subjective sense by the church. Those who are judging these qualifications in an individual are other deacons who disciple and test deacon candidates, though as I've mentioned, currently there are no deacons, but it also includes the elders who evaluate a prospective deacon and then make a recommendation to the church on whether or not to appoint an individual as a deacon. In the end, our process includes a vote by the congregation, enabling the church at large to evaluate whether or not the deacon candidate meets the qualifications of 1 Timothy and has the capacity to serve the church. So as it stands, it would be most natural for the elders to observe individuals in the church who are actively serving and then to make a recommendation to the church. Then time would be given for members of the church to express either concern or approval privately to the elders. As matters of concerns are raised, these would be brought before the congregation and the recommendation would eventuate in a vote on the individual to be appointed to the office of deacon. Second, whatever shape that formal process of raising deacons up will take, 
as elders and as a church, we should not just simply appoint an individual regardless of their qualification or commitment to the church. So sometimes it might seem like a good idea to give an individual the deacon responsibility in hopes that this formal position will increase the individual's commitment to the church. But this is backwards. We want to consider individuals who are already evidencing that they have a heart for service and that they're committed to Christ and to the church. We don't want to see an individual to the in the church who's generally disconnected and hope that by appointing them to this office, they'll grow in their commitment. So in other words, those who are already serving informally as deacons are the best candidates to be appointed to serve formally as deacons. Third, appointment to the office of a deacon is not a lifelong appointment. There has to be regular evaluation of the qualifications and reappointment to the office. As such, the formal governing documents of the church, that is our church constitution, should allow for reevaluation as well as sabbatical years to allow individuals who have been appointed to the office to step aside to refresh, to avoid burnout, to retool, and to give increased attention to other important matters, especially to their family. Finally, the qualifications listed evidence the significance of serving as a deacon. Those who serve in this role are fulfilling an important office. And because this office is important, great care should be given when raising up and appointing an individual to serve in that office. Christ ordained that his people needed deacons. And churches without deacons are missing an important piece of God's plan for the church. So let's pray that God would raise up qualified individuals who desire to take part in this important role so that we might be able to appoint them to this office and benefit from them as they operate within this plan for deacons that Christ has put in place for his church. In the next episode of questions and answers about the Bible and theology, we'll discuss the role of a deacon's spouse and whether or not women are permitted to serve as deacons and how that impacts the way that we write our church constitution and the way that we proceed in appointing individuals to the office of deacon. I look forward to talking about these questions next time on questions and answers about the Bible and theology.